Hi there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Asking for a Friend, a podcast that covers all those topics relating to sex, intimacy, and relationships that you might feel a little too embarrassed to ask about. I'm your host, Katrina Buffard, and I'm a clinical sexologist, psychotherapist, and sexuality researcher. Just a warning, this podcast may contain conversations of a sexual nature, and so if there are little ones around, it's best for you to turn off and listen later. This episode is sponsored by Desire, South Africa's leading sexual health and wellness store. Very sneaky little discount. Stay tuned to the end of the episode. I know you've been told that your butt is the most neglected muscle in your body, but I actually believe that it's the pelvic floor that's paid the least attention. This muscle group plays such a crucial role in our day-to-day functioning, from peeing to pain during intercourse. So in this week's episode, I chatted to the wonderful Candace Thurston of Nurture Your Vagina about pelvic floor dysfunctions and how this can affect our overall well-being. Candace is a physiotherapist who specializes in pelvic and sexual health. And through her work in private practice and her very popular social media platform, she tackles incredible topics that we need to be speaking more about, like pee, poo, periods, pain, and pleasure. Finally, Candice, we get to speak. I am so excited I'm going to chat to you today. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you for having me. We, we've, we've kind of gotten to know each other quite a bit virtually over the last year, and I, I am such a fan of the work that you do on, on social media um, with your patients, with our academic team. You gave a pretty epic lecture on um, CBD and sex, which was, you know, maybe we need to do a whole podcast episode on that. But yes. obviously our focus today is, is, a, is it a major passion of yours? Is that fair to say? Oh yeah, definitely. This is definitely like a little a little love child of mine. So, how exactly did you get into this? I mean, what what was it that sort of directed you towards pelvic health and and this type of work? Because it's quite unusual in the physio world. Yeah, definitely. So, so pelvic health is niche, um, but sexual health within physiotherapy is kind of like a niche within a niche. Um, and yeah, I've, I've taken a a bit of a strange journey to get you, I must say. I initially studied marine biology and ecology and I I finished that degree, but within, um, the ecology kind of part of that, that, um, BSc, I was very interested in reproductive behavior within the animal kingdom. And that was where I was kind of focusing and trying to see where I can go with that. And in my final year, just before I graduated, um, of life circumstances ended up me deciding, okay, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to apply to get into um, physiotherapy. And it just kind of rolled out. It was definitely the degree that I was supposed to be in. And I just felt as though I was in my flow when I was in, when I was studying physiotherapy. And as soon as I possibly could, I, I kind of transformed my physiotherapy um, 
profession into one that included pelvic and sexual health. So um, yeah, it started way back from kind of being interested in the in the animal kingdom, reproductive behavior. And um, yeah, so as soon as I could, I, I really tried to incorporate, was in my community service here at Stanger Hospital, um, I started to incorporate pelvic health um, and slowly but surely just ventured further and further into the sexual health and well-being um, kind of niche within a niche for physiotherapy. You're you're very similar to someone um, who is prolific in the sexual health field, which is Alfred Kinsey. And I don't know if you know about Kinsey and his history, but Kinsey started as a zoologist and that led him to being fascinated in human sexual behavior. So I guess you're like, oh, a, wow. like a new age version <laughs> of Kinsey. And Kinsey was, he was the first researcher to ever study human sexual behavior and from his work came a scale called the Kinsey scale, which is, you know, was used to determine one's sexual orientation. And he had a scale of zero to six, where zero was exclusively uh, heterosexual, and uh, sorry, zero was exclusively heterosexual, six was exclusively homosexual. And in the 1950s, when he did this study, they found that most of the participants did not lie at a zero or a six, and this was absolutely groundbreaking at the time. So, kind of seeing you as a little bit like an Alfred Kinsey of the 21st century. With- Pretty cool. I mean, what an interesting background that you have. And what is it about this work that you enjoy the most? Oh, you know what? Uh, Yeah, thank you for the Kinsey (laughs) background story. I didn't know that about him. So that's really, really cool. And I'm definitely going to look a little bit further into that. Um, Yeah, so, so... This field absolutely just fascinates me and it is just so incredibly rewarding. And I'm I'm sure you can relate within your um within your field. It's just it it's so rewarding to the point where you just you continue to dig deeper and and what I always say is you know you don't know what you don't know so the the more you 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 dig the the more excited you get and the more you find out and you know the more research you do the more the more you need um so it's just been this really exciting kind of tumbling roller coaster of of learning and and education and and just finding out more about this incredibly fascinating and growing field. I think because um, sexual well-being and sexual health is a growing and not new, but relatively new within certain aspects. I mean, thinking about the information we have about the clitoris being so, so new. Um, I'm sure you can agree that this this field is transforming um, almost yearly. So it's just really exciting being a part of that. It's so attractive to me. <laughs> I can't I can't avoid it. I can't ignore it. I have to just indulge and and um embrace it in 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 all that it is and all that it is changing. Um yeah, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I know it makes total sense because I feel the exact same way as you. I mean, this is the most challenging and rewarding job in the world. And yeah. I mean, with my I mean, my passion is is sexual pain. And I work predominantly with sexual pain clients. And so, you know, I can't do my work without you. And I will say this to my clients, you know, it's all good and well seeing me as a, as a sexologist, but you actually, if you were going to choose one, I would go and see someone like Candace as the, as the pelvic floor physio first and foremost. And if you can only afford mm-hmm. one, see the pelvic floor physiotherapist. If you're going to start somewhere, start with the pelvic floor physiotherapist. In the, in the clients that we, we treat, we're we're working with the pelvic floor now what is that how how are our clients going to know what the pelvic floor is and is it the same in men and women 
Um, absolutely. So, so definitely we need to have this kind of basis of understanding about the pelvic floor, where it is and what it is and what it does. Um, and if you have a pelvis, you've got a pelvic floor. So definitely both men and women and all um, kind of identities in between, we all have one. And yeah, if I'm going to just give a little bit of an um, explanation without using hand gestures, which I, which I mainly do. Um, so your pelvic floor is a, a group of muscle integrated with um, connective tissue at the base of your trunk. So it sits almost between your legs and it's slinging from sit bone to sit bone from your pubic symphysis at the front to your coccyx at the back. And this bowl um, has a couple of holes in it, right? And those holes are controlled by the um, muscles and they they refer to as sphincters. So the sphincter at the front is around the urethra, which is the opening to your bladder to control um, the movement of urine. And then at the back, we've got a sphincter controlling the rectum to control the movement of gas and stool. And then in the middle, we've got the vaginal, the vaginal opening, which men clearly don't have, or the individuals with male, in inverted commas, anatomy. Um, we've got the pelvic floor muscles that surround the vaginal opening, and what you are very well in tune with is the fact that the vagina is on the inside, the vulva is on the outside. Um, so when yes, I let's, say let's that just, the muscles... Let's just say that again. <laughs> the vagina is on the inside, the vulva is what you see when you look at yourself in a mirror. I think that's a very important point to clarify. Yeah. I think we could say that 101 times and still need to say it more. Um, okay, so so yeah, we've got the the pelvic floor sling of muscles um, at the base of your pelvis, and they've got a couple of holes in it. And those holes, um, it's the the muscles are surrounding those sphincters to control the flow of urine at the front and the stool and gas at the back. And then we've got the vaginal opening in the middle, um, and those muscles are there to support and control um, the pelvic organs. And all together. The, this bowl of muscles has a couple of functions. And if I were to quickly, quickly touch on those functions, um, it would be to control the passage of urine. So urine and stool. So allowing the passage of urine and stool. So when it's appropriate to let go to effectively and completely empty urine as well as stool. And then uh, maintaining continence is another function. So keeping pee and poo inside until it is appropriate to let it go. Um, and then another function would be to support the pelvic organs. So I said it's like a bowl. And in this bowl, if you can imagine, you've got connective tissue at the top that's kind of slinging your bladder, your bowel, and your uterus, supporting them within the pelvis. And we've got the pelvic floor at the bottom. And I'm using hand gestures that no one can see. We've got the pelvic floor at the bottom that is now supporting these pelvic organs um, and, and as we know, as we transition through different phases in life, the position of our organs might change, influenced by a variety of things. And we just need to maintain this really great pelvic floor strength at the bottom to just facilitate the support of the pelvic organs. And then we've got um, the pelvic floor contributing to your foundation of strength. So making sure that we've got this really, really great foundation for our limbs to function off of. So if you imagine your pelvis and your trunk as your stable foundation of a house, we need to make sure 
ensure that we've got good, appropriate range of motion in those muscles, as well as dynamic strength and control and awareness. And then the last thing is that, well, not the last thing, there's other functions too, but the main kind of daily function is that your, your pelvic floor is contributing to, to sexual, sexual health and sexual function as well. So we need to make sure that the pelvic floor can relax in order to allow for penetration. And also we need to have this awareness and good just general health within the pelvis, which contributes to um, to sexual function, which we can go into if you'd like to a little bit more. So that is just a really quick snippet of what the pelvic floor is, where it is and kind of what it does. Um, something that should be part of our general education, but it is not always, unfortunately. <laughs> No, it absolutely should be part of our general education. And, and I mean, if you are an avid listener of this podcast, you'll know that I have cracked this joke before, but we should have been taught about, you know, how to communicate effectively, how to do our tax and what sex actually looks like at school, rather than being taught how to make a white sauce in home economics like I was, because those former three skills would have been really useful. And the pelvic floor is it would make up part of comprehensive sex education, in my opinion. Um, Absolutely. Because it, and, and, and just bodily function and awareness, I mean, it plays such a massive role in our lives as an adult. So let's talk a little bit about the sexual functioning then and the role that it plays. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, so with regards to, to pelvic floor and I love, I love your idea of, you know, the fact that it should be integrated into our, into our education from a young age. I mean, uh, one of the, something that I've spoken about before is that our pelvic floor is integrated into our lives in every single stage from party training through your first menstrual period, to your childbearing years. It's just, it's part of our everyday lives, no matter, <laughs> no matter where you are in the world and no matter your economic status. So it should most certainly be um, uh, considered as important as, as it is. Um, but yeah, let's go into sexual function, something that's so important and so dear to both of us. So when it comes to pelvic floor, the kind of misconception that is most certainly out there is that a tight vagina is a good vagina. And please just take that out of your head right now, anyone that is listening to this podcast, because a tight vagina is not a good vagina. I don't even know what that entirely means, um, but it is just not, that's the misconception. We just need to absolutely just get out of our minds. Um so when it comes to the pelvic floor and sexual function, we need to have the ability to let go of those muscles to allow for penetration. So like I said, those muscles are surrounding the vaginal opening. And in order to achieve penetration, if we are talking about penetrative sex intercourse, then we need to make sure that we have the ability to let go of these muscles to allow for penetration. Um, and then when we're talking about now achieving orgasms, Betty Dobson, I'm sure you know, did like to speak about um, is the ability to engage and contract these muscles to facilitate orgasm, and which is something that um, many women that are that have experienced anorgasmia or difficulty achieving orgasm have really, really gained a lot from is this ability to engage the pelvic floor muscles in that build-up to an orgasm. And although the research doesn't really comprehensively tell us that uh, you know, a stronger pelvic floor or doing your Kegels is going to give you a better orgasm. What we do know is the next point that I want to touch on is this awareness of your pelvic floor is most likely going to have a bigger um, impact than doing Kegels to facilitate achieving an orgasm. So we know very well that that um, pleasure, arousal, the ex your sexual um, experience um, it, during intimacy, whether it's partner or 
partnered or whether it's solo, we need to make sure that this, this intimate experience is a mind and body experience. And having this ability to be aware and connected to your pelvic region is absolutely essential. And it's in times that we feel as though we are disconnected from our pelvis or our sexuality or our sexual being, where we find that patients might come in and say, oh, you know, I, I have a low libido. I really struggle to, to just be present during intimacy. I don't want it. I'm not engaged. And this is often because during that intimate experience, that individual finds that they are dissociating. They are outside. They spectatoring. They thinking, oh, what if he's seen that little lump? Or what if she's seen that little lump? And oh my gosh, that looks, there's cellulite over there. And this, 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 this disconnect and kind of doing to-do lists in your head. Oh, what are the kids going to have for lunch tomorrow? Um, you know, what should I pop into the, the lunch boxes or whatever, what's on my to-do list and what do I need to do for work? If we have this disso dissociation and a lack of awareness and this inability to be present and be mindful during an intimate experience, and we often find that, um, you know, the pelvic floor is doing something that we don't really want it to do. So in this mind frame where you are stressing about work, for example, you might find that your behavioral responses that you are engaging in this tension in your pelvic and that tension might be contributing to a difficulty to achieve penetration. This tension and this dissociation might be contributing to a lack of natural lubrication within the pelvis, and that might be resulting in something such as uh, penetrative pain. It might be aggravating vaginal dryness, um, and when there's not um, a sufficient natural lubrication, then we might find that these symptoms are... Um, exacerbated um, and in this even dissociation and 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 not being present in, in in your pelvis at the time of intimacy you might not kind of be aware of the pain itself you might be so dissociated that you have learned to just switch off from the emotion um, or switch off from the emotions should I say and not be able to kind of be there and you might not identify the need to reach for your bottle of lube next to your bed um, yeah so so Pelvis is most certainly very integrally connected into, into sexual well-being, whether that is looking at external stimulation, looking at things that bring you pleasure, whether that is um, conolingus or it's the use of a toy or it's use of hands, whatever it may be. We need to have the ability to be aware and connected and in that, in that um, be present in that moment. Um, and if we don't have this, this kind of cognitive awareness of our body, then we might not be aware of these behavioral responses, this tension, this arousal non-concordance, which might be an experience of, of vaginal dryness um, during, during intimacy um, that, that results in the symptoms that you might be experiencing. And I feel like I've gone on a bit of a tangent there to get to my point, but what I really, I suppose I'm trying to, to press home is the fact that this is a, it's a mind body thing. And, and when it comes to sex, but also when it comes to pelvic health in that we need to have this awareness, this connection, this feeling as though your pelvis is part of you um, when engaging in intimacy, as opposed to, 
dissociating, letting go, um, taking yourself out of the room or pushing through pain, um, which unfortunately is something that, that very many of our patients have been encouraged to do and that just further takes individuals into this dissociation or disconnection um, mind frame. You, you mentioned so many things there that I think were so important to normalize and so many things there that were kind of like myths that we need to bust. So, you know, you uh, spoke yeah. about a tight vagina is not a good vagina like that. We, again, I'm, I'm like you and I, I just, this, we need to get rid of this. It's the same. It sits in the same category as you need to have sex three times a week. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and that disconnection you spoke about between the mind and the body and how sometimes during sex, you might be thinking about the kids or the groceries. That's completely normal for us to do, mm. but in order to really be there during sex and in order for us to, experience sexual satisfaction on a complete and whole level we need full engagement of body and mind and 100%. what that looks like is ultimately engaging with parts of ourselves that we don't necessarily think of when it comes to sex like our pelvic floor it means engaging with parts of ourselves that we don't recognize as being absolutely you know pivotal in our sexual experience like our brain which is our biggest sex organ so mm -hmm. everything that you've kind of described from uh, you know that tight vagina to arousal non-concordance which is that disconnect between the mind and the body where the body might say oh show signs of physiological arousal but the mind is going yeah I don't really feel like this or, or vice versa there's yeah. so much there in the work that you do so when when people see physiotherapists you know there might be a certain I don't know an expectation about about the work that you do but you're you, for me you are a mind body healer it's not just <laughs> about the body and the muscles and the tissue do you think that that's that's an accurate reflection of what you do Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we know that this 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 mind body disconnect comes from it, it. It can be so ingrained in us from a young age, depending on your on your upbringing, from your to your exposure to to numerous things, your body image, etc. And I without fail with working with individuals that are struggling with with uh, sexual dysfunction, pelvic floor dysfunction. We, we cannot eliminate the need to incorporate this mind-body connection. I cannot. And that's the reason why, you know, I, I've furthered my education in, in trauma counseling and um, now doing a, a, a trying to become more in tune with psychosexual um, education at the moment. So without fail, there is this mind-body connection that is absolutely essential in in the field of physiotherapy, and particularly when working with with sexual health and well-being. Yeah, so so without fail, um, mind-body connection is absolutely essential in what I do as a physiotherapist, and it's something that cannot be ignored and um, needs to be integrated into every assessment and, and treatment that I do, and that is where I start with my patients is making sure that that they are able to identify their their dysfunction and acknowledge it, give it give it some credit, and then we go and make sure that we know exactly what ad adaptations we we need to make. You know what behavioral changes, you know physiological kind of things we need to pay attention to. I mean, for me, that mind body connection is paramount to to the success of treatment. And it's very interesting how many of our, 
our clients, your patients are disconnected from their bodies. And they're often so much in their head, in their mind, but not actually being able to bring the two together, that it's leading to sexual pain. So something like sexual pain, you know, we often look at it as being a psychosomatic response where you've got a physiological function happening in the body, but it's caused by very often by a psychological um, uh, origin. And for so many of the clients that I work with, there is immense anxiety. There has been, you know, history of trauma. There have been very negative messages about sex growing up um, or very yeah. negative experiences. And this is all manifesting in the body. But they, the, my clients that I, I see often don't have that connection. They don't make the connection and haven't quite put two and two together that what they've experienced and how, you know, the, the things that they've been through are manifesting in their body, you know, as pelvic floor dysfunction, as pain, as a hypertonic pelvic floor being too tight and so on. And I guess the work that you and I do is so similar in that sense, even though you work physically and I work psychologically at the foundation of it, ultimately we're working to achieve the same thing with our clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I use the analogy of clenching your fists. Sometimes we can clench our fists um, consciously and sometimes we are clenching our fists, fists subconsciously and we need to identify what is, you know, what is the trigger for this? And that's, that's where you most certainly come in is, is uh, on the psychological side. And then on my side, we, we now dealing with this clenched fist. We, we dealing with how can we let it go? How can we change this behavioral response? How can we potentially do something more adaptive as opposed to maladaptive? Because um, when likening the clenched fist to the pelvic floor, if your fist is constantly clenched and uncomfortable and tight and now, now restricting its blood flow, you can't exactly pick up a pen and do your functions during the day or pick up a glass and bring it to your mouth. And likening that to the pelvic floor, if you constantly have this clenched pelvic floor, you might be struggling to let go to pass stool or you might be struggling to let go to pass um, urine or struggling to let go if you intend on achieving penetrative intercourse. So we need to, on your side, it's most certainly, you know, what is it that, what is the psychological um component to this 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 potentially subconscious clenching or activating of the pelvic floor and then on my side it is making sure that we now learn what does what does clench feel like what does relax feel like how can I feel as though I've got a sense of control over letting go of this pelvic floor how can I identify oh my word I'm clenching right now how can I let that go okay I'm going to utilize this behavioral response this this motion this release technique etc to actually physically let go that pelvic floor um, until such a time that I know what let, let go feels like and I feel as though I've got a sense of control over this because a lot of the time patients do feel as though that they, they don't have control and especially with vaginismus, patients feel as though you know they, they, their mind and their body are on two complete different planes and we need to bring those two planes back together and give that patient a sense of control over their and their experiences yeah so i mean the what we do is most certainly we, it, it's it's invaluable having us work together working and making sure that this patient is um managed holistically that's that was such a useful analogy actually and i was just thinking to myself earlier it was a real pity that you couldn't see your 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 kind of hand gestures when you were describing the pelvis <laughs> but 
that analogy, I was picturing picturing it in my mind when you were talking about that clenched fist. And that's so helpful to think about, you know, in that mind-body connection and what that would do to you. I mean, if you're clenching your fist all the time and then you're needing to write, every time that you're going to write, it's going to be impossible to do it. And that's kind of how my sexual pain clients feel is that that fist is clenched. And then when they go to have sex and, and penetrative sex, it's clenching even further. And those muscles are, are sensitized. Though the nerve endings are sensitized. The muscles are tired. It's just, it's just not a nice environment. And everything has been tight. And it shouldn't be, as we've said. So if we're going to talk to perhaps more specific um, sexual difficulties, I know, I mean, I've, I've written some research um, and some articles on using pelvic floor physio to help men with erectile dysfunction. And there's a lot of research around using pelvic floor um, physiotherapy to treat men with um, premature ejaculation. And obviously, we know for women who have pelvic floor dysfunctions, um, whether that's having a pelvic floor that's too tight or there's it's too weak, maybe that's postnatally, there's so much that you can do. When it comes to our sexual functioning and dysfunction, what are the most common difficulties that people can experience with their pelvic floor or due to their pelvic floor um yeah so so there are absolutely so many different factors that we need to look at when assessing pelvic floor function this misconception that the um uh, like we said earlier, tight vagina is good vagina and, and the misconception that we need to just do Kegels and that if you are period postmenopausal, if you postpartum, then the um, the pelvic floor is definitely weak. You know, that is just something that we once again need to get out of our, our minds because you might be experiencing something such as a urinary incontinence as a result of too much tension or scar tissue within the pelvic floor. So there are very many factors that contribute to pelvic floor dysfunction um, and sexual dysfunction as well. And we, yeah, those things, <laughs> I could go on for a little while, but I'll just say the, the ones that we might just be that much more aware of. So you might find that like, like we spoke about with the clenched fist, that there is too much tension in the pelvic floor. And that might be due to your type of exercise. It might be due to your posture. It might be due to subconscious activating of the, of the pelvic floor. It might be because you have a habit of clenching your bum when you are standing. Um, then we might have an instance of of weakness in, within the pelvic floor. And that just might be because of inactivity. It might be um, as we age and estrogen starts to decline and there's, there's um, muscle, muscle atrophy everywhere in your body, but your pelvic floor included. And we need to just work on um, engaging and strengthening those muscles. It might be a result of a surgical procedure or it might be um, with something such as vaginal delivery where there's been injury to the muscle and um, subsequently scar tissue. And just like you would have weakness, tension or scar tissue anywhere else in the body, we need to um, be aware of the fact that these things might be contributing to dysfunction of that limb. So if you were to cut your arm, um, you might find that your hand doesn't work as well. Um, and same thing with tension and weakness. Then we might have issues with your connective tissue. So 
like I said before, you've got connective tissue, which, which is there supporting the, the pelvic organs. Um, and if there is now a change in the position of the pelvic organs, the demand on the pelvic floor then changes because the pelvic floor is coming from below, supporting those pelvic organs. So it might be connective tissue. One of the things that is incredibly common, and um, it may be due to a variety of things, is your pressure within your functional unit and if you your functional unit is pretty much your trunk um so if you are constantly straining or bearing down because of constipation or heavy lifting or holding um a toddler you know you you would then be exerting increased pressure down onto the pelvic organs as well as the pelvic floor and that then changes the function and the um, activity within your pelvic floor so yeah, if I'm, if I'm quickly touching on a few things, I would say that those are the most common that I come across is this too much tension, there might be weakness, there might be injury, there might be scar tissue, and there might be poor pressure management within um, the pelvic region that contributes to this, this dysfunction, whatever that dysfunction may be. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that we assess and, and, and treat within in pelvic, in pelvic floor physio. But it's so interesting, even just thinking about picking up a toddler, that's that's something that I, you know, I wouldn't have connected with my pelvic floor. That's such an interesting, you know, just one little example of how much mm-hmm. this part of our body is in use without us even realizing it. Absolutely. Then, so then what does a healthy pelvic floor look like? What what should healthy what is healthy functioning of a pelvic floor? <laughs> Great. So, um, yeah, so, so pelvic floor should have the ability to engage and relax through its full range of motion. So you should be able to let go completely and activate completely. And then with that activation, we need to make sure that we've got power and endurance. So liken that to doing a squat jump versus going for a walk or just doing a normal squat. We need to make sure that this pelvic floor has this dynamic function and control. So if you were to pick up something really heavy in your hand and then put it back down, if you've got control over that movement, you can slowly and in a controlled manner place that weight down exactly where you want it to be put down. So we need to have this dynamic control of that letting go or control of that activation, whether that activation is with power or endurance. Um, And then we need the pelvic floor to be able to be integrated into the rest of the body. We need to make sure that, you know, you can engage your pelvic floor, incorporate your abdominal wall and um, use those muscles for something such as balance. We need to make sure that you can breathe into your diaphragm and and influence your intra-abdominal pressure to potentially reduce the amount of pressure that you've got in your pelvic organs and pelvic floor. We need to make sure that the muscles that bypass from your hip and and attach to your sacrum and sit right next to your pelvic floor and have the ability to control your hip movements that you, you know, have good range of motion with your, your associated muscles with, so for example, in your glute muscles. So we need to make sure that this pelvic floor in um, functioning in a healthy manner is able to integrate into surrounding tissue, but also function in its full capacity on its own. Um, so with that, I'm talking about that dynamic control through through power and endurance and, and letting go. When you go say power and, power and endurance, just so I can clarify, what do you mean by mm-hmm. that? 
Okay, so so power let's let liken that to doing a squat jump. So when it comes to uh, um, your pelvic floor, if you were to go for a run or jump, you need your pelvic floor to come in at maximum control and quickly engage to um, ensure that you don't, for example, leak as you land from that jump or when you laugh or when you cough. So these uh, we needed to to quickly and powerfully come into action in order to prevent pelvic floor dysfunction. Does that make more sense? Yeah, that makes more sense. And I mean, this is a natural part of aging for women, unfortunately, is that, you know, the older you you get when you do sneeze or cough or laugh or jump on a trampoline or jump up and down with your kids, it is possible that you can have some urinary incontinence and leak urine. That's quite common Mm. as we age, unfortunately. So what you're saying that that power and endurance of that muscle of that pelvic floor region means that when you do those things, you laugh, you cough, you sneeze, you jump on a trampoline, you pick up your kids, you're not leaking urine, you're not having some pelvic floor dysfunction take place. Is that right? Absolutely. So these pelvic floor dysfunctions are absolutely common, such as jumping on the trampoline, like you mentioned, but it doesn't make them normal. It's 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 something that needs to be managed. So someone that is leaking urine when picking up a child or going for a little jog or kind of chasing after a to- toddler, um, they, might, they may very well be an issue with all of the things that I've spoken about before. It might be the pressure management, their posture, the tension, the scar tissue, the weakness, the injury. Those types of things might need to be a managed managed and assessed and and treated in order to then resolve that very common instance of urinary incontinence in, for example, the postpartum period. So, so then, I mean, how exactly do we do that? So, you know, Kegel exercises, that tightening and releasing of the pelvic floor are not the be all and end all. So what are some of the ways that people listening to this can you know, ensure that they've got a healthy functioning pelvic floor because a healthy functioning pelvic floor is important as we age, but it's crucial for our sex life as well. So what are some practical tips and tricks you can give us in making sure that it's healthy and functioning the way it should be? Absolutely. So, um, Number one is education, getting getting in tune with your body and feeling as though you know what it is that you're dealing with. So if anyone's listening to this podcast, then they're already taking a big step in that direction and just really knowing what it is that you're trying to work. So I often speak about identify, acknowledge and adapt. So identifying um, the dysfunction that you're having, identify your lack of, of information or education and around a certain co- um, concept, um, acknowledging it, giving it giving it some credit and kind of giving yourself, you know, a bit of a pattern back and say, it's okay that you don't know these things um, or, or might attribute it to something. So, okay, I'm early postpartum and that's why I'm having X, Y, and Z symptoms. And then make that behavioral uh, adaptation. It might be reaching out to a professional. It might be changing that posture when you are carrying a toddler. It might be incorporating um, a certain routine into your daily life um, in order to, to make those changes. So those changes might be, there really are a variety of things that some of the most important things um, along with the education would be incorporating good quality breath work into your routine, making sure that you know and you understand how to control a good breath into your diaphragm as opposed to into the top of your chest, taking an apical stressed breath. You need to um, make sure that when you are taking this breath, your ribs are expanding laterally and your abdominal wall is expanding anteriorly. We need to make sure that you are 
taking your pole vis, you're moving, moving in general. So it doesn't have to be that you are doing a Kegel every time you do a squat. It's just moving in itself. So if you are someone that doesn't do any exercises versus someone that walks every now and then, um, does a couple of squats while they're waiting for the kettle to boil, that person's pelvic function is going to be a lot better than the person that sits on the couch um, most of the day. So just moving in general is going to contribute to all-round pelvic health. Then um, making sure that if there is dysfunction, even if it is a little niggle that you think, you know, isn't really bothering your day, um, that that you get that seen to because little niggles now might in, end up being big niggles later on that need to be addressed more urgently. So just not ignoring those symptoms, but rather identifying them and, and making the, the changes that need to be to made. Um, then it's it's very hard to to give a blanket prescription with regards to kegels but if someone is going to do a pelvic floor routine making sure that when they are done with that pelvic floor routine that they connect to what does relax feel like because a lot of the time if you go into a class where there's a lot of pelvic floor activation going on then you walk away from that class and you find that it's difficult to now let go of that pelvic floor so we need to end with a tuning in slowing down a down training a letting go of that pelvic floor to make sure that you are not now um, clenching that fist, for example, walking around with a tight fist, walking around with a tight pelvic floor, but rather letting go so that we can function through our full range of motion. Um, yeah, so those would be some of the things that I would make sure that that person does, educate themselves, identify those, those issues, incorporate good breath work, strengthening, general strengthening, but we might also be specific strengthening to the pelvic floor and then following that with a good, relaxed, let go down training routine. Um, and you are speaking to a professional if you have any specific concerns, please. Yes, always. And not waiting seven years is the average amount of time somebody usually waits to get yeah. help. These things can, you know, relatively easily be resolved most of the time. And I think I do want to caveat and say if, if there is a, a woman listening who does struggle with sexual pain, you should not be doing Kegels um, because mm. the pelvic floor is already too tight. Um, but then I also want to, to use a metaphor that a, another pelvic floor physiotherapist that I saw at one stage um, gave me, which I thought was really helpful. She said, you know, imagine your pelvic floor like an elevator shaft. We need to go from ground floor to the top floor. So let's say top floor is floor 10. So we need to go from ground floor to 10th floor back to ground floor. And it's that back to ground floor part, that total relaxation, that letting go, kind of pushing down on that on that pelvic floor so it's in its relaxed state that you've just spoken about that actually I think often gets missed. So when people read about doing Kegel exercises on, you know, Cosmopolitan's website, they're obviously, it's really helpful and it's really important that they're putting information like that out there. But they're not emphasizing that the relaxation is more important than the holding and, and tightening of the pelvic floor. And I think that was something I had to learn and I learned from seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist, actually not from this job. So I think that it's about educating yourself, as you said, first and foremost, and that being the, the, the kind of education that you're getting, being evidence-based, being you know really useful education from reliable sources like someone like Candace, who's a pelvic floor physiotherapist and specialist, so that you know that you are on the right track and you're not just taking what Wikipedia suggests you should do as gospel, because unfortunately we do know that people love to Google, don't they? 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, so this multifaceted um, uh, area of our body, we can't give a blanket prescription. We can't just say, you know, 10 Kegels a day, three times a day is going to resolve all your problems. We do. We need to make sure that all these different facets are, are addressed and incorporated, which is why it's just best to chat to someone, have an individualized kind of bespoke program made out for you so that you know what it is that you can do to get to your personal goals because everyone has different goals and different intentions and different backgrounds that might be contributing to your current experiences in the pelvic floor. Yeah, absolutely. And and what about just, I was just thinking about it as we were discussing it, can men do their Kegels too? Yeah, they most certainly can. So males don't have the same kind of urogenital opening as a female does. We have a wider pelvis and we have got a, a, a narrow perennial body, which means that we've got this, this opening at the vagina because that's where babies typically descend. So men don't have that opening, so they don't have as many um, issues as a female might have or someone with with, um, with the vulva anatomy might have. Um, so they may not see as much urgency to do these pelvic floor exercises, but they can most certainly, like you, like you mentioned before, do these pelvic floor exercises because it might be exactly what they need to contribute to, um, you know, resolving erectile issues as an example. Yeah. And I, I think it's something that is often just classified as, as are things that girls do, or, you know, those mm. are girls do It's just, are they do, do exercises. I also think it's important for me to say that, that, that trans patients can also have pelvic floor dysfunctions. And as, a, you know, somebody who's transitioning from female to male, they can have sexual pain. They can experience a sexual pain disorder. So it's important not to rule out the fact that just because you are transitioning or you're trans, that you, you may also struggle with pelvic floor dysfunction. I think being human means you have a pelvic floor and having a pelvic floor means you can have pelvic floor difficulties. Absolutely. So um, with regards to sexual dysfunction now, what I really want to bring up, and I know that you've chatted about on podcasts before, is vaginismus. So vaginismus has, it has the potential to be treated really effectively, both with psychology, as you know very well, but also through physiotherapy. So we have a multitude of treatment options that we can use to intervene in someone that's struggling with vaginismus, which is this involuntary spasm in the pelvic floor muscles and the superficial pelvic floor muscles often associated with a sense of retreat, withdrawal and uh, anxiety. Um, causing pelvic floor pain or pain in the vulva vaginal region um, and, and difficult or impossible penetration. So that is something that is treated really, really well with, with physiotherapy, um, working with dilators, with manual digital release, getting that patient to be desensitized to touch and using um, slow integration of intimacy with the use of the dilators, which is something that I've, I've integrated into the course we've just designed, is, is slowly progressing, not just to tolerate penetration, but also to um, work towards a goal of good, pleasurable sex, penetrative intercourse, as opposed to just being able to achieve penis and vagina. So that is that, that common topic, that taboo topic that um, unfortunately isn't spoken about enough um, of vaginismus. And I just want to stop there and, and bring, bring up the fact that, you know, this is not just 
um, in the instance of sexual trauma, which is the stigma attached to vaginismus. So a lot of people are not seeking the help of a pelvic floor physiotherapist with this um, with this thought process that the individual is going to assume that there's been some kind of sexual trauma. And if you want to go there and discuss those things, then we do. If you don't, then we don't. But um, we send you for a referral to, to someone to discuss it further. But I've had numerous patients who've experienced, who have an experience of vaginismus with a history of, you know, strict religious upbringings for, for one, it might be an emotional trauma. It might be an imagined trauma. It might be a surgical trauma, all of which can initiate and trigger this um, involuntary pelvic floor spasm and difficult penetration, painful penetration when it comes to vaginismus. And almost on to a lesser extent with regards to um, pain and penetrative disorders when it comes to pelvic floor management is, is dyspareunia. So dyspareunia is pain during sex. So it can be due to a variety of causes. So it's just kind of a label. It's not necessarily a diagnosis. And this might be spasm in the pelvic floor muscles, might be a bit of nerve damage in the pelvic floor. Um, it might be deeper pelvic floor spasm and often associated with, for example, a hip injury, a coccyx injury, where the muscles in and around those joints have now gone into spasm and resulted in a bit of discomfort, usually a deeper discomfort with penetration. And, and this is something that we can then start to treat with pelvic floor physio so this would typically be an internal vaginal exam and assessment and we start to work on release of these muscles getting you to learn what does it feel like to release again because when it comes to injury we naturally guard and protect ourselves in and around these areas and we need to learn how can I actually let go of my pelvic floor so that usually comes in after a surgical procedure or fall onto the coccyx um, and it can be from 20 odd years ago it can even be from something such as constipation, I mean, a, a diarrhea, where we've learned to, to engage and clench those back, the back passage. And now we've got this generalized pelvic floor tension that's not necessarily causing vaginismus and impossible penetration, but it's uncomfortable penetration. And um, both of these things, this, this pelvic floor tension oftentimes feeds into another symptom that is often treated that I see a lot of actually, uh, which is pelvic, um, provoked vestibulodynia. So provoked vestibulodynia, one of the causatives can be pelvic floor tension. So this irritates the nervous supply to the vestibule. So if you imagine what is the vestibule, it's a tissue at the entrance of the vagina. So the, the skin on your face is different to the skin in your mouth. And at the entrance, we've got the lips and lip skin is different to the mouth and the face. So we can imagine the vestibule being that. So we need to make sure that this unique tissue um, is, is functioning well. And like I said, we, the, the pelvic floor tension can play into that. So we can determine if it is pelvic floor, if it's hormonal, um, if it's due to a history of thrush, um, a, a number of things. But pelvic floor physiotherapy works really, really well with that too. Um, it, it just managing painful penetration. That's usually a burning, a stinging, a discomfort during initial penetration. And um, it's often associated with post-coital burning with urination or just generalized burning. Um, and it can be number, minutes to hours to sometimes days post-penetrative post intercourse. Um, and it can also be um, aggravated by by the clothes you're wearing, et cetera. So we work with a lot of desensitization, getting those muscles to relax, getting that tissue to be desensitized and um, a little bit more comfortable with, with, with function. Um, and then just, just touching on, on, I suppose, the common ones, another area that is really, really common with pelvic floor 
management for sexual dysfunction would be postpartum return to set, return to comfortable, pleasurable, penetrative intercourse. And we know that at, at six odd weeks postpartum, where you're given the go ahead, you're supposed to be, you, you thought to, to be feeling wonderful and like you can just return to normal function. 50 to 60% of people are experiencing pain with penetrative and penetrative intercourse at that point in time at around three months it's about it's about um, 30 percent and at six months it goes down to about 11 to 13 percent of individuals experiencing pain so it's really really common and um, common but not normal and it's definitely something that can be treated and there's a number of things that might be fit, feeding into this that being breastfeeding taking the estrogen levels down impacting the integrity of the tissue at the entrance of the vagina it might be the, um, the instance of an episiotomy or a, um, a tear in the perineum, and we need to look at the healing. Is there adhesion with the, with the repair? Was there a little bit of a skin tag? Has that now caused a bit of irritation? And it even goes into, when I'm talking about scars now, it's, it's also the, the cesarean section scar. We often made to believe that a cesarean section is then going to preserve the vulvovaginal tissue and function and this unfortunately is not true and to thinking that you know this is going to to save them but that should not be the reason for for having a cesarean section um not that i have any judgment over whatever the choices of the mum um but we don't want to mislead an individual into choosing cesarean based on the fact that it's going to preserve any tissue so it might be that adherence and the scarring in and around the abdominal incision that then causes um dysfunction when it comes to to penetrative intercourse if you imagine a scar on your arm it might impact the way your tissue moves and that's going to impact your sexual function so with that if might also with looking at postpartum return to sex it can also be a weakness a tension you might have been told in the hospital when you leave make sure you do your kegels and in inverted commas because if you don't x y and z will happen to you so then you leave you're anxious and you think i better do 300 kegels a day and if i don't then this is going to go wrong if you were to go to gym and pick up a dumbbell and do 300 bicep curls a day you'll have a sore and uncomfortable arm that will not function well same thing for your pelvic floor so Please don't listen to that. For I, I use and that exact same analogy with my clients. What would happen if you went and picked up a dumbbell and did however many hundred reps of it? You wouldn't, you'd have a dead arm. You're going to have a dead pelvic floor and your pelvic floor, as we know, we've been discussing is associated to so many actions with, you know, picking up a toddler, for example, sitting down on the loo. Yeah. Not a, not a comfortable experience. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so most certainly we, we just, we need to make sure that we're using our pelvic floor for function um, when we're recovering postpartum and not overdoing it and overworking and over exercising the pelvic floor. So that in itself might be resulting in this postpartum um, sexual dysfunction. And then I would say the last common one that I really need to bring in is the, the mechanism of delivery. So sometimes with the mechanism of delivery or the duration of, of labor, that can impact impact nerve supply or nerve function and that often leads to um to it might be a numbness it might be a burning it might be a weakness a laxity within the within the pelvic floor based on the mechanism of delivery and if any tools were used um that might be impacting sexual function and this isn't to this isn't to say that we can't do anything about it there's a load of pelvic floor physiotherapy techniques techniques that can be brought in to help with this function and to improve your your sexual experience and um, and then i know a, a topic that that's 
that's very dear to you would be the the instance of of low libido postpartum as your body function changes your role changes your understanding of your body changes and if there's been any trauma associated with the delivery that will impact your sexual function um, in that postpartum um, period if i were to just sneak in one more <laughs> because I could clearly speak for days. If I were to sneak in one more, I would say the association, and there's been a recent article that's come out about this now, um, would be the association of pelvic floor dysfunction with exercise. So we're all quite familiar with the idea of sitting on a bicycle seat and what that can potentially do to your perineum. So that might cause damage or injury to or inflammation to your pudendal nerve. And that can give you this numbness in your labia, for example. Or for men, or for men, should I say, because because um, I mentioned it in probably the second episode I did on ever on the podcast with Mojo Men about erectile dysfunction that we've got a colleague in the US who says you can choose being a cyclist or you can choose having sex, but you cannot choose both. And for men, one of the the guys in the podcast, one of the cousins from Mojo Men, was talking about a pelvic floor injury and a pudendal nerve injury from cycling and how that led to erectile dysfunction. I just wanted to slip that one in there. Yes, and I actually recall that that episode, and I mean, I related to it straight away because I've heard that story so many times. And it's definitely, it doesn't matter what your sex is, what gender you are, but um, it, yeah, that that form of exercise can most certainly impact your pelvic function. And um, a new one that's come out is the instance of these kind of like um, Brazilian booty building squat challenge, you know, or step up challenge often in the CrossFit industry. And, you know, CrossFitters are wonderful. They love, they've got such a passion for what they do. And it seems like it's a real family and around CrossFit, but unfortunately individuals enter into challenges that are not quite ready for it. And when you're doing a hundred step ups, that a 100 step ups is going to consistently put a stretch and strain on your pudendal nerve and can most certainly lead to a provoked vestibulodynia, that sharp pain in and around the entrance of your vagina, as well as, and it's usually unilateral, but it can be both sides. Um, uh, it, can, it can be that, that same, that numbness, that burning in the labia. And that's something that I've actually seen more and more of. So I was so excited when that article came out because it's something that I've seen, but I've never really seen in the research. So it was nice to see something other than cycling being brought to the attention of individuals as to what can cause this, this pelvic floor and sexual dysfunction particularly. We, we were speaking that, before we started recording about, um, about research, and I mean, that's something that has just piqued my interest. I wonder if there's potential to do research on, on you know, pr- provoked vestibular dynia and CrossFit, um, or how many of, of our colleagues who are listening are seeing, you know, women perhaps who do CrossFit who are having pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, gosh, that was like a whistle-stop tour, but I, I want to pick up on a few things. The one is obviously postpartum stuff. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to be doing a whole episode on that in season three because it is a topic I get asked about again and again and again and again, and um, there's so much to say. But then coming back to the, the kind of different types of dysfunctions that you mentioned, you know, we've spoken about a couple that are very specific to women, obviously vaginismus, vulvodynia, um, vulva it's vulva dynia is pain in the vulva that's what it means um and then also about dyspareunia and, and and men can experience dyspareunia as well which is pain during intercourse um 
but I know it sounds like it, it, it happens a lot to women. And I, that's why I want to just pick up that it can happen to men. And I'm glad we actually mentioned that episode with, with Mojo Men because pelvic floor dysfunction can lead to men struggling with erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or even delayed ejaculation, not being able to climax. And that really impacts on, on one's overall well-being, much like it would for a woman as well. So, I mean, you said it already, we could speak about this for days, you know, if we had the listeners days of time, we we could go into it for so long. Um, but I really think that you've given us such a comprehensive understanding. And as I said, a whistle stop tour of, of what it is that can happen when we're not taking care of our pelvic floor. So, you know, Candice, if there was kind of one thing you'd want people to know about their pelvic health, what would that be? If you could choose just one, I know that, that sometimes that's quite difficult. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, if I, if I had to choose, if I had an individual and I was only allowed to tell them one thing in a session, I would suppose that that thing or that guidance or that lesson that I would give that person is the ability to connect to their pelvic floor. Um, because this, this ability to connect to your pelvic floor helps would help an individual to identify issues but also problem solve okay I can feel that right now I'm tensioning whereas in a lot of people that tensioning and that clenching or that involuntary spasm is so subconscious so if I can teach an individual anything that would be getting them to feel as though they are connected to their pelvic floor that they feel as though this pelvic region is part of their body and not a, a phantom limb that they feel disconnected from I really feel that that this connection and this mindfulness and this ability to be present within your pelvis is so essential to everything that we do and it, it lays down a very important foundation for the strengthening the myofascial release the breath work the everything that i that everything else that comes along with that um connection is absolutely essential in my in my opinion and it's just it's not just about sexual health it's about you know bowel health and bladder mm. health it's, it's reproductive health. It encompasses everything, actually. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because, again, these are the types of topics you would never ask about for yourself or never want to say out loud. And there are the types of topics we need to be having conversations about that we need to talk about because pelvic health is so important in our overall functioning as human beings in everything yeah. that we do. And I'm so glad I'm, I, I've, I've gotten to have this conversation with you because like me, for lack of a better word, you have no scarm when it comes to speaking about um, <laughs> these sorts of topics. And for my international listeners, that's the equivalent South African way of saying no shame. We have no shame in yeah. speaking about these topics because that's what we need to do. We need to speak about yeah. these topics with absolutely no shame. We need to normalize conversations about it. And I'm so glad that the the conversation that we've had today has taken the direction of of looking at that pelvic floor as a whole, looking at all of the functions, not just the sexual functions, but everything else that we do with that part of our body and how we need to take care of it. So Candice, the, the last question I want to ask you is that, you know, in the work that you've been doing, what is the thing that has surprised you the most or keeps on surprising you? Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I'll go back to something that I said earlier. Um, I said, you don't know what you don't know. And that is something or a part of what I suppose surprises me is the 
the lack of information that individuals have. And unfortunately, there are so many people living around the world not knowing that their pelvic health, their sexual health could be better. Their sexual well-being could be better because they don't know. And this is because of this all-round lack of, of exposure to appropriate education in and around the pelvic floor. And then kind of to add to that, the, the thing that surprises me um, is how far a little bit of education really can go. If someone is just told what normal anatomy is versus what the social cultural kind of um, idea of what a vulva should look like, um, or if someone is told just a little bit of information about bladder dynamics or what the fact that painful sex is, is not normal, it's common, it's not normal, you shouldn't be experiencing pain. Just that little bit of information can go such a long way and be absolutely transformative for that person's experience in their pelvic and sexual health journey. So it would definitely be the most surprising thing is, is how far a little bit of education can go in the long run for an individual that's on this journey. Uh, I think I would echo that because I've seen that as well. And even just you educating a patient is giving them permission um, to actually feel a certain way about what they're experiencing or, or change their thought processes about what they're experiencing. And that is incredibly powerful. I, I followed you on social media. I mean, we, we had a little, we had our meet cute on social media um, before we met through the academic circles that we're in. Um, and you do absolutely incredible work on social media. You're such a, uh, an enthusiastic sex positive educator. You put out really great content. How and where can people engage with you on it? Oh, thank you for that, Katrina. Um, so my primary kind of platform for social media, I would say, would be Instagram. And that's on at Nurture Your Vagina, where I aim to empower people with followers with with education taking down the the barriers and reducing the stigma and increasing the the narrative in and around pelvic and sexual health and um and well-being really because i want it to be nice and holistic so that's at nurture your vagina on instagram and then on facebook i'm a little bit active there i try at nurture pelvic floor physio and um, then on my website, I would say that would be the next most active thing. That would be nurturepelvichealth.com. And yeah, so there's a variety of things on there. And usually on one of those three platforms is where I will be promoting any upcoming content or anything new. Um, and then in person, it would be in Belito at a practice called Health Matters, um, where I practice as an in-person physiotherapist. I also work online, but usually through these avenues, that's when you can book and determine whether online or in person is going to be best for you hmm. I, I really want to recommend and invite everybody to go and follow you on Instagram because you learn so so very much but you have just released an unbelievable course um, that people can go and buy and please tell us a little bit about it so they can engage with you on Instagram for free content but if they want the full package and time one-on-one -on -one sort of with you what's the course about Awesome. So yes, I'm so excited about this. It's called From Pain to Pleasure. And From Pain to Pleasure is all about taking you from a potential painful, uncomfortable, um, anxiety-ridden, sexual or penetrative instance or experience to a pleasurable one. And 
because I don't want you to aim for just tolerating penetration because you as an individual deserves pleasure. You deserve pain-free, desirable, pleasurable intercourse or sex, whatever sex looks like to you, you deserve that. And the intention of this course is to put the power in your hands, give you the sense of control back by knowing your body, your symptoms, and giving you the tools to assess as well as start to manage those symptoms. So it might be with digital manual um, work. It might be with breath work. It might be with dilators. There's mobility routines on there. There are a number of things on there to guide you through this. And we look at the intimacy of it too, because like I said, it's not, it's not just about tolerating penetration. It's about bringing in that pleasurable experience as well from pain to pleasure. So we speak about establishing what is good sex for you, what are your goals? What are you working towards? We speak about bringing intimacy into a partnership if you are in a relationship and how to do so with the use of dilators at the same time as going through the program so that you're on the same page and you're still engaging in pleasure, but slowly but surely working towards um, pleasurable penetration um, and pe pleasurable sex in general, however that may look to you. So yeah, that is the... Um, about four hour long course that you can pause and play and do at your own pace that is now available on the sexologycourses.com. I'm going to put a link to, to that um, site there for, for everybody who's listening. And if you use the code FRIEND, F-R-I-E-N-D, as in asking for a friend, you get an extra 10% off Candice's amazing course. There isn't really something like this out there for the South African market. So I'm just so thrilled that finally there is a course available for anybody who is struggling with sexual pain um, that can enable them and empower them to move away from pain and move towards pleasure. So yeah, that code for 10% off Candice's wonderful course is FRIEND and I'll put the link in the show notes. Candice, we'll, we'll chat again soon. I know we will. And uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This episode was sponsored by Desir. Desir believes that sexual health is not just about the latest sex toy, but about using products to improve one's overall sexual health and well-being. For 15% off, use the code FORAFRIEND. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe to this podcast and continue learning about some incredible and fascinating topics that we need to know more and talk more about. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be grateful if you would rate and review it. Do you have a question you'd like to ask for a friend? Reach out to me via my website or Instagram, and I'll be sure to include it in an upcoming episode.